Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. All right, so we've come to the end of Advent and Christmas. We've come to the end of the waiting and the celebrating. And now we begin to tell the story of Jesus. That is, we're going to focus on the first half of Jesus' ministry over the next seven weeks from now until the beginning of Lent where we enter into the second half, journey to the cross. But this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry up to the transfiguration. That's the halfway point in the ministry of Jesus. So that's what we're going to focus on for the next seven weeks. And the ministry of Jesus begins with his baptism at the River Jordan. Listen to this gospel reading again. As the people were filled with expectation... And all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah. John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased." Water and flame. I'm going to preach on that today. Water and flame. So, it was the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, the Roman emperor. That would make it A.D. 28. That's the year that John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a message that had attracted great attention. John the Baptist is the last and greatest in the long storied line of the Hebrew prophets. And he begins preaching, not in the city centers. He doesn't go to Jerusalem. He's out in the wilderness, the rugged Judean wilderness near the Jordan River. I don't even know who he starts preaching to, but somebody. And you would think, you know, it's just sort of a kook out in the wilderness and nobody would pay attention, but that's not what happened. There was something about John the Baptist. He was one of those kind of people that's just magnetic. There was just an energy in him. And he started preaching. And people started coming. People, especially from Jerusalem, would make the 20-mile trek out into the wilderness to hear this young man announcing that the kingdom of God is about to come. It's right there at hand. It's about to break into the world, the kingdom of God. 
And because of that, we need to rethink our lives. We need to prioritize our lives being in line with God's will. And those that responded to that kind of preaching were baptized. Baptized in a baptism for repentance, signifying that they were turning their life anew to God and beginning a new way of living. Now that such crowds were coming to hear this this man out in the wilderness announcing the near arrival of the kingdom of God, people began to think maybe he's the one because they were filled with expectancy. I mean, it was just there was, the tension was just so strong that we've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and I, I just feel like Messiah is about to appear, and it might it, it's probably this guy right here. It's this one preaching in the wilderness. That the kingdom of God is at hand and we need to be ready. I think it's probably him. And people began to speculate if John was the one. And John said, and this is in the original Greek, he said, it ain't me, babe. No, 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 it ain't me you're looking for. He said, no, I'm not the one. I'm just a voice preparing the way, a voice in the wilderness. There's coming another one. And I'm telling you, he is so much greater than I am. So much more. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoe. I baptize you in water. That's for sure. I'm baptizing you in water. But when he comes, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. So the crowds were coming to John being baptized, and at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth with the crowds to John at the Jordan River, and Jesus, too, was baptized. Now, John is baptizing for repentance, and here comes the sinless one, And he participates in this public act of repentance by being baptized by John. What are we to make of this? Well, what we make of this is that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Not God against us. Not God far above us. Not God distant and remote to us. God with us. And Jesus says... Though he cannot say, I need to repent, he can certainly be with us as one of us and say, we need to repent. We need to return to God. And Jesus goes down into the same waters that everyone else was going down into. Jesus experiences the same baptism that the crowds were experiencing at the River Jordan. After Jesus was baptized and he was praying... The Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove and descended upon Jesus. And there was a voice from heaven that said, You are my beloved Son and you I'm well pleased. This is the first of three times that we will hear the voice of God speaking to Jesus in the course of his life. This is the first one at his baptism. You are my beloved Son and you I'm well pleased. The second time is at the halfway point in his ministry, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when the voice says, this is my beloved son 
in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. The third time is in Jerusalem, right before his suffering. Jesus is saying, I know it's about to begin. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it's for this purpose. I've come to this hour. Oh, Father, glorify your name. And a voice that some thought was thunder spoke from heaven and said, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. John baptized in water. And Jesus is with us in the waters of baptism. But Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit and fire, water and flame. Now, part of the genius of the lectionary. What do we mean by lectionary? Lectionary is an ancient, began all the way back in probably the first century, certainly the second century. It's a cycle of readings when the saints gather on Sunday morning from the Scriptures. From the Old Testament, from the Psalms, from the New Testament, from the Gospels. You understand that the idea of having your own Bible and you can just read it whenever you like at home, that's quite new. I mean, you know, you have to have Gutenberg's printing press and then even then it took a long time for it to be that everyone would have their own. For about 80% of the history of the church, your connection with the Scriptures would be what you heard read when you gathered on Sunday morning. You don't gather, you don't have those Scriptures, you don't have the Word. You would never read it, you wouldn't have your own copy, you would hear it read to you. And the church set out to say, okay, how are we going to do this? What passages from Old Testament Psalms, New Testament Gospels, will we read on what Sundays and how do they, how should we arrange them? They didn't do it just randomly. There is a genius in them. And so the reading for today that corresponds with the baptism of Jesus is found in Isaiah 43. Hear the word of the Lord. But now thus says the Lord... He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. The spiritual genius of the lectionary is on display when the water and flame poem of Isaiah 43 in the Old Testament is connected with Luke's account of Jesus' baptism in the New Testament. By making this connection, we are shown that God's promise to be with us as we pass through rivers and waters, through fire and flame, is fulfilled as all of the promises of God are in Jesus. For Christ Jesus is the one who joins us in the waters of baptism and the one who purifies us in the baptism of fire. Isaiah's water and flame poem begins with, do not fear. This prophetic refrain 
is replete throughout Scripture because it simply cannot be said enough. We cannot hear too often from the Word of God the announcement, do not fear, don't be afraid. The vast amount of our spiritual maladies can be traced to the level of fear that is operating in our lives. And so we need the revelation of God's love that can dispel that kind of fear. And as we grow in our revelation of God's love, there is a corresponding diminishing of fear in our lives. And our goal is to move toward a perfect revelation of the love of God so that all fear is finally cast out of our lives. For indeed, perfected love. That is, a perfected revelation of the love of God casts out all fear. And how different would your life be if from this moment on you could just honestly say, I'm not afraid anymore. How different would be your life? How differently would you live? How much better would be your life if you could just, in all honesty and humility, say, you know what? I'm not afraid anymore. So the word of the Lord begins with, do not fear. Don't be afraid. Look at verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Again, water and flame. Notice the, the Hebrew parallelism. This is, you know, this is poetry. But he, ancient Hebrew poetry was not rhyming verse like we're accustomed to. Its primary poetic form was what we call Hebrew parallelism, where everything is said twice, but in a different way. You say it once, but then you say it again, but in a little different way. So the, what, the, what the poet Isaiah says is, you know, you're going to go through waters... I'll be with you through rivers. They won't overwhelm you. You'll walk through the fire. You won't be burned. The flame shall not consume you. So, you know, waters, rivers, flame, fire. You're not going to be destroyed by it. So look again. Isaiah 43 to just this little fragment of the verse. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Okay, that's our Old Testament reading. And then these wise spiritual sages that many, many, many centuries ago put together this lectionary said, okay, let's connect that with over in Luke 3.21 when all the peoples were baptized, Jesus was baptized too. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When all the people were baptized, Jesus was baptized too. He's with us in the waters. Now, what are the waters? Well, the waters of baptism are connected with the grave. Thus, baptism is a burial. We're going to baptize people here the last Sunday of January, January 30th. Baptisms are happy funerals. You've, you know about sad funerals. These are happy funerals. But they are funerals. They are a burial. It's a watery grave. It's a burial in the waters of baptism. Paul says you have been baptized with Christ. You have, you've been buried with Christ through baptism into death. So the waters of baptism are 
a watery grave. And Jesus is baptized with us because Jesus is the Word made flesh. Jesus is the Word made mortal. Jesus is the Word made that which is capable of entering into death with us. Jesus shares our humanity and our mortality with us, so he enters into baptism with us. He enters into death with us. Most icons... Most icons of the baptism of Jesus depict Jesus' baptism as a kind of burial. This is probably the most common style of icon. You see, okay, I see it there. It's, uh, it's clearly Jesus' baptism. There's, there's John the Baptist. There's the dove ascending from heaven. You got some angels, three angels standing here. Because Jesus is going to depart from his baptism into the wilderness. At the end of that time, the angels come and minister to him. So that's why that's there. But if you look at the, I mean, the water is, it's not a river. It's not really flowing. I mean, it's blue and it's kind of ripples or something. But it looks more like a burial than a baptism. That is the intent of the iconographer. To associate Jesus' baptism with death and burial. Now, we will all be baptized into death. That is, we're all going to die. We will all be baptized into death. So Jesus, see, we're all baptized. In, so Jesus, when, when we're, because we're all baptized, Jesus is going to be baptized with us. Or say it, because we all die, Jesus is going to die with us. He's not going to exempt himself from that. He said, this is the fate of mortal flesh. I will go with them into death. So you have some baptism icons that look a bit different. In, in this baptism icon, there is no water at all. They've just, the iconography says, ah, we'll just dispense with the water, make the point even more clear. It's, it's clearly, there. you still have John the Baptist, you still have the angels, you still have the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, but there's no water at all. It's clearly a grave. And there's, uh, you know, some representatives of death there in Hades. One of them looks quite shocked that Jesus has shown up in, in the tomb, in the grave, in Hades with them. Uh, but that's another uh, typical icon where the iconographer is just making the point even more clear. doesn't want you to miss it. Uh, but here's the great truth of the gospel. Of course, once Jesus, I mean, it's one thing for you and me and for Moses and Abraham and David and whoever you want to name to enter into death. That's kind of the end of the story. But when the word of God, the word made flesh, very God of very God, true light from true light, when that one enters into death, oh, something's going to happen. There's going to, something's going to, something's going to happen when deity enters into death. When you try to bury the logos made flesh, something death, something's gonna, death is going to be transformed. Or, or better to say, death is going to be plundered. And so thus we have the resurrection icons that we've looked at a lot. These are pretty familiar. Um, and I've talked about this a lot, but I don't get tired of it, so bear with me. This is Jesus descending down into death. The gates of hell have fallen in the form of a cross, indicating that it is through death that Jesus conquers death and all the locks and chains are broken and Jesus is grabbing uh, by the wrist. Not, they're not grabbing him. He's, he, he's 
pulling them up. He grabs Adam, Adam, that is humankind, and he also is grabbing Heva, that is Eve, that is life, These the representatives of the human race, and pulling them up out of their graves. Uh, we have over here, we have King David, King Solomon, and still, it's still John the Baptist, so it kind of looks like the baptism icon. Uh, over on the other side, we have some Old Testament saints. I'm not sure who they are. Notice at the very bottom, if you can see that, uh, death has been hogtied. I like that a lot. Do you see that? Death down there, hogtied. <laughs> With all the broken chains and locks around him, death has been hogtied. Now, if you put them together, you really see, you get the point. You get the point. So here's, here's the baptism icon of Jesus entering into death with us. But when Jesus enters into death, it's unlike everybody enters into death. I mean, that's, you know, everybody dies. Nothing new about that. But not everybody is very God of very God. In fact, only one is. And when very God of very God enters into death, well, now, now we get the gospel. We get death hogtied. We get humankind and human life rescued and brought up out of death. We, so, so with that in mind, we can read Isaiah 43, 2 like this. When you pass through the waters of death, I will be with you. And through the rivers of Hades, they shall not overwhelm you. So put it in there, one, put them up one more time, that one that has the both of them. And so, so he, Jesus is with us in the water. He's with us in the river. But for, G, for Jesus to be with us, it's not just solidarity. Oh, you die, I'll die too. No, Jesus is with us so that we won't be overwhelmed. So how, do, how does Isaiah say it? When, just look, you look at that, I'll read this. When you pass through the waters of death, I will be with you. And through the rivers of Hades, they shall not overwhelm you. That's just the gospel right there. If that doesn't make you happy, I don't know what I can do for you. All right, so that's how, that's how Christ is with us in the waters of death. But what about the fire? Because the sermon is water and flame, and both are mentioned in both passages in Isaiah 43 and Luke 3. What, what about the flame? What about the fire? John the Baptist announced that Christ would baptize us in the Holy Spirit and fire. He baptizes in water, John says, but this one will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. John said the work of Christ would be to gather the wheat but consume the chaff. He said it like this. He will gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. All right. We're working with the lectionary. How might Isaiah's water and flame poem inform how we understand uh, John's wheat and chaff prophecy? Isaiah says, when you... Walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Okay, I'm going to read it again, but I want you to listen to how I read it. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. The fire will be there. The flame is present but you won't be consumed. Something's going to be consumed, but not you. The unquenchable fire 
that Christ causes you to pass through or baptizes you with will not consume you, but it will consume the chaff that you falsely think is you. This is a problem. We get, we get our flaky self, chaffy, flaky. We get our flaky self mixed up with our true self. Sometimes the flaky stuff can get so attached to us. By flaky stuff, you know what I mean. Pride, selfishness, greed, lust, whatever. All that flaky stuff. It can become so attached to us that we think it's us. We think I am that one. I, I'm, I'm that greedy, no good, selfish. That's who I am. No, it's not. It's just a bunch of flaky stuff that has got attached to you. And you might confuse it for who you are, but it is not who you are. We tend to think that some people are grain and others are chaff. Very kind of dualistic, black and white, you know, good and bad, us versus them. We, would, we might want to think, you know, we're, we're, we're the wheat, they're the chaff. Or, or if you really have a very, very low self-opinion, everybody else is the wheat, I'm just the chaff. But it's much closer to the truth to understand that we're all comprised of grain and chaff. We're all part grain and part chaff. We're all part substance and part flaky. Well, all of us have something that's, that's the imago day for crying out loud. That's this imago day, the image of God. You have that. That's who you are. But we all have some flaky stuff. Chaff. And when you go through the river of fire that flows from Christ, Daniel talks about the river of fire. You, that is your true self, will not be consumed, but the chaff, that is your false self, will be consumed. That may be a painful experience. In fact, I have no doubt it must be. But it's good. The chaff of pride and greed and lust and selfishness and whatever you want to name gets attached to our true Amadjo Dei self and becomes so attached that we get confused and we think it's who we are. And that's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie of the Satan, the accuser. It's not who you are. You may be dealing with those things. You may be struggling with those things. We all do. We all, have, we all have the flaky stuff we have to contend with, but it's not who we are. It's something we've picked up. It's something that's become attached to us. It's something that's actually extraneous to us, but it's upon us. Christ baptizes us in fire to consume the chaff and liberate the grain. This is salvation. Water and flame. Simon Peter. Simon Peter, the one whom Jesus chose to build his church upon. The most famous, most prominent of the 12 disciples. He's also the one that we all relate to the most. Because Peter is all of us. Peter is flawed. Peter is a combination of grain and chaff. Peter has true faith. He is the first one to confess. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That revelation was given to him just like it's been given to you. But Peter was the first, so he becomes the model for that. 
Just like it's been revealed to you that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, it was revealed to Peter, and Peter confessed it, and, and that is grain, that is substance. But that's not all that comprised Peter. There was also flaky stuff. We know about that. Peter especially, his flaky stuff was uh, primarily manifest in flaky self-confidence. He was a little too sure of himself. I mean, at one point early on, he even presumes to counsel Jesus. That's, that's pretty flaky. When Jesus made for the first time the sober announcement that he would go to Jerusalem and be crucified, Peter takes him and says, oh, come on now. That will never happen to you. In fact, I rebuke you. To which Jesus says, well, yeah, I rebuke you. Get behind me, Satan. Flaky stuff. And then, you know, in the upper room, there, that was at one point in the, in, in the life of Peter. And then right before, right before the, the deal goes down, right before it's all about to happen, they're in the upper room on the eve of the suffering. And Jesus says, you're all going to forsake me. And Peter says, well, yeah, I, don't, I know these guys here. They probably will. You know, these jokers. Yeah, I wouldn't trust them either. But you can count on me. I'm ready to go to jail. I'll go to death. It doesn't matter. I'll be, I got your back. I'm right there with you. Flaky stuff. So what does Jesus say to him? He says, Simon, Simon, listen. The Satan has obtained permission to sift all of you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have returned, strengthen your brothers. No, you're going to fail, Peter. In fact, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me one, two, three times. The Satan, the accuser, has permission to find out what all of you are made of. The accuser will say, you're all nothing but flaky stuff. I know better. I know there's real faith there. I know there's substance. But through the Satan, we're going to find out how much of it's real and how much of it isn't. Simon, Simon, listen. Listen, Simon. You're talking too much. Shh, be quiet. Stop talking. Listen to me. The Satan has obtained permission to sift all of you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith ultimately would not fail. And when you've come back, because you're going to have to come back, when you come back, use your experience to strengthen your brothers. Well, we know the story. In fact, Peter does deny Jesus three times and then the cock crows and he weeps bitterly. And in this story, the Satan is present, no doubt. But so is Jesus. Because Jesus, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Did you know that Jesus is praying for you? He ever lives to make intercession. He's he knows where you are. He sees where you are in this moment. He knows what's happening and about to happen. Those who want to preach that you know, God doesn't know the future, come on. I can help, I can help your theology. Um, he knows. He knows. But he's praying for you that your faith would not fail. You're going to go through that. It's, it's, we could say it's going to be a fiery baptism. 
And this is what it was for Peter. We could describe this as Peter's baptism by fire. It was a painful baptism. That's why he weeps bitterly, but he came through it refined, humbled and refined. The fires we pass through are for our refinement, therefore the consuming of the chaff, therefore the liberation of the true grain, therefore the revealing of the true self that you are. The fires we pass through not only refine us, but they give us the experience to help strengthen others. If your testimony is, you know, I've never really been through much. It's all been, you know, it just kind of just came to me. Life has just been pretty much one bed of roses after another. Well, good for you. Sit down, be quiet. You have nothing to say. But those that have been through some things, those that have failed, but their faith has somehow survived, those that have had spectacular failures, Thrice denials of Christ. That's pretty spectacular for a guy you're going to build the church on. But it doesn't disqualify him. Somehow he holds on to his, I believe in Jesus. I'm not believing in me much anymore, but I believe in Jesus. Hold on to that and you can find your way back and then you'll be in a position to help strengthen your brothers and sisters. You say, hey, we're all going to fail. We're all flaky. We're all going to go through some fires. But you know what? It's good for us. It burns up all that flaky stuff that never was who we are to begin with. Jesus is the one who is with us in the waters of death and in the fiery baptism of refinement. Jesus says to you, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. Amen and amen. Stand up with me. We're going to confess our faith. The faith that Jesus prays for over us that it would not fail. We're going to confess our faith and then confess our flaky stuff and receive the forgiveness and refinement of the Lord and come together to the table of the Lord. Amen. Join with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. 
We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. You've confessed your flaky stuff. And God is merciful and God is gracious to all who in humility confess their sins. Jesus is not the one sent to condemn, but the one sent to save. So upon confessing your sins with faith in Jesus Christ, I tell you, your sins are forgiven. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and especially you, which is all of us, who have failed. Come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you.